All right, um, today, I'm not going to be in front of you for very long. Do I say that every week? Maybe I do. It's, uh, yeah, I got time. Yeah, <laughs> it's some, some kind of insecurity inside of me. I'll talk about it with my counselor later this week. All right, <laughs> okay, we'll be in Acts chapter 20. Um, so here's where we are in the story. Um, by this point, Paul, this enemy of Jesus who encountered Christ and was changed forever, and by this point has literally planted churches, ignited the Jesus movement all around the Roman world. Um, By this point, he has heard deep in his spirit that he is supposed to return to Jerusalem. And he's well acquainted with Jerusalem because at one point he was a rising star in the power elite in Jerusalem, and he was even using that growing position to... um, persecute Christians, but Jesus changed him. How many of you are glad that Jesus changes us, right? That he encounters us and changes our desires, you know, we begin to desire things we didn't before, and we stop desiring things that we used to. Um, God just changes us from the inside out, and so this is what happened to him, Um, and by this point, he's like, I've heard from the Spirit that I need to return to Jerusalem, and it has also been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that this is going to be a painful visit, that when he goes back to Jerusalem, what is likely awaiting him is suffering and arrest because there are um, people in the religious elite in Jerusalem who are now wanting to persecute him, who now want even his own life. So Paul is headed on this kind of sad journey back. Um, As he's traveling, um, he stops at a coastal town, and from there, he calls for the elders from the Ephesian church. Now, you remember maybe from just a few weeks ago that Ephesus was a major city in the Roman Empire. Um, Paul had a very powerful ministry there. Um, There were many people who became followers of Jesus in that city. Uh, There were signs and wonders and miracles in that city. And Paul had spent a few years there doing ministry. And probably what would have happened is he, as he formed these relationships, as he had meals, as he did ministry, he noticed people who began to rise into leadership, to have the respect of the Christian community, um, people whose character was trustworthy, and eventually the church laid hands on them and called them elders, something that we still do today. And so they laid hands on these people, called them elders. When Paul visits this coastal town, um, he invites the elders of the church from Ephesus to come down and meet him because he wants to say goodbye to them. Now, I want to tell you something about this passage before we read it. The bulk of the passage in Acts 20 is Paul's farewell speech to these elders, to these people who he really has invested in and who he loves. Now, when I'm preparing for a sermon, I'm often asking the question, Why did the author, and the author of this book of the New Testament is Luke, an early disciple, why did Luke include this story? Because he could have included others. You know, he's an editor. He's deciding what to include and what not to include. So why does he include this story? Well, we think that one reason he included it is because this is the height of Paul's ministry, but it is also the height of criticism that he's receiving. And these two things often go hand in hand. How many of you know there's rarely a revival in history that has happened that isn't attended by lots of criticism and controversy, right? 
um, we look back on it and see that it was a move of God in their own time, it's often far more controversial, right? So Paul is experiencing this controversy, not just from the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman Empire. He's receiving this kind of controversy even from some of the churches that he planted, right? He's experiencing that kind of betrayal at this point. And so Luke probably includes Paul's speech as a kind of defense of his ministry. Paul is kind of saying, look, I've done this with pure motives. No matter what people say, I've done what is right in my leadership. I've been sacrificial. I've given myself away. I've let my leadership be about giving to people instead of taking from them, which is what following in the steps of Jesus is like, right? All true Christian leadership is about what we give, not what we take from those that we lead, right? And so that's probably the main point of this passage. And I really could preach a message this morning just on Christian leadership um, because it would be a great it would be great to pull that from this passage. Instead, just for a few minutes, I'm going to kind of focus on a secondary point in the passage, and it's what goodbyes look like in the kingdom of God. And here's why I'm going to focus on that instead of what would be the main point of the passage. Um, it's because sometimes you all write my sermon for me in the course of a week. And by that, I mean I just end up in conversation with you, praying with you, and I in your voices, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so I was going to go in a different direction with this passage, but I had like four or five conversations this week um, that led me to go into this direction instead. So I don't like goodbyes. You probably don't either. Um, but that's what we're going to look at today. What do goodbyes look like in the kingdom of God, and what can we learn from Paul's example? Okay, so I'm going to begin reading in Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. 
You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So let's talk about what goodbyes look like in the kingdom of God. You know, in the book of Acts, there's different kinds of goodbyes. Some of the goodbyes are the result of death. Um, The book of Acts is honest that some of the early believers lost their lives in the early mission of the church. They were willing to give everything to the cause of Jesus, even their own lives. And so some of them lost their lives. Um, There were some goodbyes, unfortunately, that were were the result of sin. Um, I love how honest the book of Acts is. Do you remember when Paul and John Mark, earlier in the book of Acts, got into this disagreement and they ended up parting ways? There were some goodbyes that were the result of ego, that were the result of sin. There's something that could be said about those goodbyes, but there's a particular kind of goodbye happening in this passage. I just want if I'd just be honest with you, if I hadn't had like four or five conversations on this throughout the week, I probably wouldn't be preaching on this because my fear is, does this have a wide enough application, you know, to the people sitting here this morning? Is this going to hit enough hearts? Um, but it must because I think this is what God is saying. So I think there's some goodbyes um, that God is calling us to in the kingdom. Here's the particular goodbye um, that Paul is having to give here. It's a goodbye to the very thing that he has invested his own life into, that he has invested his own heart into. These leaders from Ephesus that he calls down to meet him at the shore so that he can say goodbye to them, they are the product of Paul's own labor, Paul's own prayers. Paul has fought for them himself He has raised up these leaders. He established these churches. God used him to work miracles in Ephesus. He suffered in that place. He has poured his heart and soul into this. And yet in this moment, he knows that God is asking him to say goodbye to them. To say goodbye to the very thing that he has put a ton of energy into. That he has invested a ton of time into that he has poured his own heart and soul into. This is the goodbye that Jesus is asking him to give in the kingdom of God. Now, depending on your personality, and I think there's probably few of us who like goodbyes, there's kind of two general reactions that we have to avoiding goodbyes. Some of us prefer to cut and run, right? And some of us prefer to stay and squeeze, right? But both are a way of avoiding goodbyes. So the people who cut and run... Avoid saying goodbye by not saying it, (laughs) by just disappearing, right? By just going on to the next thing, by just going on to the next relationship, the next ministry, the next assignment. Um, They just leave and go. I know, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I know many powerful leaders who carry powerful anointings from the Holy Spirit, who behind them have a trail of relationships, assignments that never had any kind of closure 
because goodbye was never offered, right? They just ran on to the next thing for whatever reason, got bored, whatever. Paul could have done that. He's going out of his way, slowing his mission down. If you read uh, before this in Acts 20, Paul really wants to get to Jerusalem before the Jewish celebration of Pentecost. So he's in a hurry. He's got to get back, but he takes time to stop at this beach, give the Ephesian elders time. It would have taken them probably a couple days to make this trip to get to be with him. He takes the time because he knows that this thing that he's invested in, he has to say goodbye to it, but it also needs closure, right? Now, some of us avoid saying goodbye by staying and squeezing, right? We don't say goodbye because we just stay close longer than what we need to, right? So some of us are like this in ministry relationships, Um, We sense that a relationship is changing, that our influence with the person probably isn't going to be there as strong anymore. This just happens in relationships, but it's like we can't let the person go, so we just stay and we squeeze, right? Sometimes I want to be like, stop smothering it, dude, right? It's just like, stop smothering that assignment, smothering that person. You're like squeezing too hard, right? Um, But it's all in a a way to avoid saying goodbye. Paul doesn't do that either. It's interesting, he says goodbye, but he doesn't go to Ephesus himself. There's a kind of balance here because he knows that if he goes back to Ephesus, number one, that's not what God has called him to do. God has called him to do a next thing, but he also knows that if he goes to Ephesus, he's gonna get wrapped back all up in that, you know, in those relationships and that assignment, right? They're gonna love having him. They're gonna beg for him not to. He's gonna start having meals with people and he's gonna wanna stay, right? And God has given him a new assignment. So my question this morning is, how does Paul avoid both cutting and running and uh, staying and squeezing, because he finds a way to say goodbye to this, um, these relationships, this church, by letting it have closure and also releasing it to the next thing. So how does he do it? Well, I think the key to this is actually in verse 32. Paul says this, Now I commit you to God. Now I commit you to to God. This is a super simple thing, but as a mentor of mine said to me earlier this week, he actually came to me for prayer, and he said, hey, I want you to pray for me, but I'm not God, and you're not God. There's only, a God, there's only one God, and you're not it, <laughs> right? So I want you to pray, but you're not it, right? Um, Paul knew that he wasn't God. And that even what was most precious to him, he could commit to the care of God. Paul was able to trust even what he had invested in, even what was precious to him, even what he had invested his tears and his blood and his sweat into. He was able to commit that to God. And think about how that frees us in these moments of saying goodbye. On one hand, Paul doesn't have any delusions about being God, so he's not so important that he has to keep running away from relationships and not bringing closure, right? But on the other hand, he doesn't have to stay involved because he knows that God is going to take care of what was planted in Ephesus. 
He knows that God is going to take care of the work that started there, that God is going to preserve these elders, that God is going to preserve these relationships. And that allows him to let go emotionally. He's still emotional. They have a good cry on the beach. I imagine this on the beach. They have a good cry, right? But he's able to let it go. Um, I spent some time in Senegal, West Africa, this last May, and there was a veteran missionary there who we were spending time with. In his 70s, he grew up in Vietnam. His parents uh, were missionaries there. And as part of their missionary service, he spent much of his childhood attending boarding schools. And he was talking about his boarding school experience because, honestly, this is a painful kind of chapter in Christian ministry for a lot of people. Um, And so he was processing his own emotions about what it was like being a kid and his parents dropping him off at boarding school so that they could do ministry in places that were um, difficult. And um, he was processing what was both positive and negative about it, and it's not this way for everyone, but his experience was actually mostly positive for a number of reasons. Um, But he said a statement that came to my mind as I was looking at this text this week. He said, you know, one of the most painful things was that my parents had to say goodbye to me so much. You know, they would drop me off at boarding school. He was describing what this scene looked like, you know, just mothers and fathers moved to tears, you know, over their kids, struggling. Um, Heart-wrenching kind of scene, you know, but feeling like this is what, you know, needed to be done. But he said a statement that I thought about when I read Acts 20 this week. He said, but you know what the beautiful thing about goodbyes are? Is he said, when we say goodbye, we say how much we love the person we're saying goodbye to, you know? And he said, because there were so many goodbyes, because I knew my parents loved me, and they said goodbye to me out of that love so many times each semester, he said, I got to hear them verbalize over and over again how much they loved me, how much they cared about me. Do you see that's what's happening in Acts 20? This is painful, but they're saying, the elders and Paul are saying to each other what they feel about each other that they love each other. And I think this is how we get through the pain of kingdom goodbyes. We see them as opportunities to express love to one another, to bless one another in really intentional ways, right? So I was thinking about how this has played out in my own life. Um, Sometimes it's as simple as God has placed me in a particular role in someone's life And eventually, God just kind of shifts that. This applies to many of you because you're intentionally involved in the lives of other people, you know, bringing them along. There's two people in my mind who are sitting right about, I'm just teasing, (laughs) that was so awkward. Um, There are two two people in my mind who are not in this room this morning that this has happened to recently. Um, They are people who I've invested in, people who I've prayed for, fought for, people who I've spoken the truth to, people who I honestly feel before God, I've given them everything that I have to give. Amen? And some of you know what this feels like. And then you just kind of feel like a shift happening. Sometimes you even sense the hand of God behind that shift. God starts to bring other people into the mix. They begin to be influenced by others. God uses the family, not just me, to be a support and influence in their life, right? Right? 
Now, in those opportunities, I have the choice. I can cut and run, take it personally, and be like, forget it. You're not my friend. Right? Walk the other way. Um, or I can stay and squeeze. No, we're going to do two Bible studies a week now. You're not going anywhere, right? We go in. Or we can recognize that whatever's happening in this shift is an opportune. I've been able to do this with both these individuals. You know, in small things like this, I don't even know that we need to make it super explicit, but I've just walked up to them and said, hey, I want you to know I love you. And here's what I've seen God doing in your life. And I'm so glad that you're getting support and that you're getting influence from these other places. And I want you to know that I'm here for you. I want you to know you can pick up the, call, the phone anytime and I will answer, even as I recognize that something may be shifting. Sometimes this kind of saying goodbye happens in ministry assignments. Let me tell you a story about Aliquip Impact. If you don't know what Aliquip Impact is, it's a youth development organization that got started out of this church. Chelsea and I started it when we first moved back here to Aliquippa. It's 15 years old this year. Um, but one of the first employees we hired besides me was Steve Rossi, who's sitting right here. One day, Steve called me. We were like the only, really the only two employees at Alquip Impact. And um, he called me and asked for a special meeting. And when there's only two employees and they're asking for a special meeting, you know something's up, you know? And so he wanted to meet with me. We sat in the loft right up here. And Steve so lovingly and firmly said, Joel, um, you've offended me and you've offended other people. And here's how. Um, it's because you're cutting and running, cutting and running. You're going to the next thing. You're running to the next thing. There's not closure in relationships. He, he told me, he said, Joel, you don't keep a calendar and you're making a joke about it, but I've seen you triple schedule things. Um, he was confronting my insanity, right? And by the way, this was not a surfacey thing. This was a deep identity issue for me because I was finding worth in running, 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 right, to the next thing. And Steve had the courage to confront it in me. And he did it so lovingly. Um, and I remember sitting there when Steve was like talking through the offense that he felt and that he observed other people were feeling. Um, I just remember it having, it was like my vision just came into alignment in a new way and I saw what God was doing. And I'm pretty sure in that conversation, I said, Steve, do you want to be the executive director of Aliquip Impact? <laughs> and I think he was really thrown off because he was like, that is definitely not what this meeting was about. I was not asking you for your job, right? <laughs> um, but it was like I could just see God was doing new things here at the church. My role had changed here at the church. I had just started to co-pastor. We were reaching into the community in new ways. God was calling me to new assignments, and in those new assignments, he was asking me to let release happen. Um, I look back on that really uncomfortable meeting, and I think that God inserted something into our leadership culture here at the Gospel Tabernacle and in the movement that surrounds us. Um, the ability to defer to what God is doing, right, instead of to what we want or what we think that we need to hold on to, and to let God pick the people, not us, that he wants to do it through, right? Um, because here's the truth, friends, and some of you need to hear this. The next breakthrough for that person that you care about, you might not be assigned to it. The next breakthrough in the ministry that you're involved in, you might not be assigned to it. Um, God's gonna do it, 
Aliquip Impact would never have become what it is today if Steve hadn't taken that leadership. It just wouldn't have happened, I can tell you. We, there's so many more kids that we ended up serving because God did that, right? Um, when we let go, we let go into God's plans. I commit you to God, which means I commit this thing that I'm invested into. I commit this relationship that I've invested into, into God's heart not just my heart for the person, into God's passion, not just my own, into God's vision, not just what I want to do, right? We let God take it and do something special with it. I'll never forget the day. Last one, I'm going to wrap up. I'll never forget the day when Danny and Aaron Murphy, who some of you know and love, um, came to me and said, Joel, this is our family on mission, but God is calling us to South Korea, and we feel it. We were standing down at the chapel where now the second campus meets on Franklin Avenue. And there's a South Korean flag in our foyer. We have that there to remember Danny and Aaron. Let me tell you something. Danny and Aaron, are like, they're not here, so I can say it. They're the best it gets. I mean, they would just do anything. Um, they serve with humility. They're more gifted than they know right? Those are the people that God uses. Some people are really gifted, but they know it, right? <laughs> God, they're more gifted than what they know. Um, I'll never forget them telling me, and guys, right on the spot, we shed tears together because this is a goodbye that we don't want to have, but God is in it, and if we cannot cut and run, and if we cannot stay and squeeze, then we can release into the next thing that God is doing and see a part of God's heart in the pain that we would not have been able to see before if he had not let us see that goodbye.